You're listening to Shifting Schools, episode 246. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. So excited today that we got to uh, talk with, we've just were off the call with uh, several from the BE Labs. Trisha, tell us a little bit more about the BE Labs. Yeah, our our special guest, Seville Money Corote, is the director of Penn's Bioengineering Educational Lab and Biomakerspace. He's an educator and a mentor. And the Stevenson Biomakerspace is the only interdisciplinary biomakerspace in the entire world, which is amazing. That's uh, so cool. You know, you and I were just marveling over the website. There's videos there. There's resources for teachers to check out. There's a lot. And in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what it might mean to consider what Seville shares for inspiration for our makerspaces um, in our classrooms, you know, even just on a smaller scale. So Jeff, what do you think folks should be listening out for in this episode? Yeah. And I, you know, I think we can't stress enough. You need to head over to the website on this one. There's so many great resources over there. And I think the thing that kind of came through, right, the shifted thought for this episode for me was that creativity needs us to let go of control. And we know that. I mean, that's not, we're not saying, we're not telling educators anything they don't already know, but this ability to just let go. And that is when fun things happen. You know, that's when the classroom is at its best is when I can set up structures that allow kids to be creative. And one of the things he talks about today is just a small hint of competition. Uh, And, and, you know, even if the competition is just bragging rights, you know, what does that do to the creative mindset? So I think that's something to be listening for. I think this is a great episode to kind of also go back and maybe listen to episode 239, where I interview Francisco from the Scratch Foundation, talking about this idea of how do you put just enough structures in place to balance out the student agency. And you talk about that in this episode as well, Trisha, around, you know, that sometimes it's the boundaries uh, that allow us to be more creative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the other thing that I'm going to be thinking about a lot after this conversation is how we can leverage the power of an archive. So, Mm. you know, Seville talks about how year after year they've documented by photo and video the different projects students are working on. So if I am an incoming student, I can see what's happened, you know, before me. And, you know, the opposite of that, if I've graduated, I can look back and see what are the new students doing. And I think there's power in that in every subject area, in every grade level. Um, It doesn't have to be for every single unit, but if you have a unit that you know there's a lot of engagement, you know that there's almost like a legacy around it that you want to build, think about how you're creating that archive so that you can tell the story year after year. Or again, incoming students can see, even if it's a poetry unit, right? Can they see the poems that were created by the students before them? I just... um, I think that's a really nice community building idea to have. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, we get talking about the egg drop uh, in this episode that some of you might remember from your high school days. But, you know, we live in a world where archiving this stuff is so simple. I mean, if only every kid had a cell phone and if only half the kids pulled out their cell phone and were able to video the experiment while it was happening and you actually could see it from multiple different levels angles. And now today with your cell phone, you can actually instantly do it in slow motion. 
you know, see the point where the egg goes splat or see how you thought the, you know, the styrofoam or whatever you use the egg carton, you thought it was going to react one way and it reacted a different way. I mean, I know that we're struggling with cell phones in the classroom, but folks, you've got cameras like 1080p 4k cameras in the pockets of kids. There's no reason not to be archiving what we're doing in the classroom and not every day, not all the time, have them bring them. But man, when it comes to doing stuff like this, it's so easy today to create archives of, of videos and images. And, you know, to your point, somebody even reading a poem. Uh, I mean, it's just, I think that one of the things you'll see over at the website, if they've done such a great job of archiving it, be thinking about how you could do that with little to no money <laughs> with the cameras that you have in your classroom today. So I think that's, that's something great. I think the other thing that comes out in this episode, you know, one of the other things to be listening for, is just this idea of just getting started. And several talks about that, that, you know, really the students tell them what they want or what they need. And, you know, we, we get talking about a sewing machine that a student wanted to sew, they go get a sewing machine. Like you just, you don't have to have everything to get started, get started and have the students tell you, Hey, it'd be really cool if we could get X, Y, and Z, uh, and then figure out how to do that. I think yep. that's a great one. How about you? What's something else? Uh, I think the last thing is just the idea of this lab's intention with being interdisciplinary mm. and not saying, oh, this is just a lab for engineering students, or this is just a lab for the biotech students. And that has me thinking about some of the other subject areas and what maybe we want to think about doing. So if you're an arts teacher, where are the opportunities in the year where your theater students can mix it up with music students? Or even where are the opportunities where, when the sixth graders can mix it up with the third graders? You know, Seville talks about just how some of those interactions and those short, brief conversations that's where that spark of creativity is made too. So how are we also making sure that groups of students are not always in the same clusters, that they are having opportunities to have dramatically different types of conversations? Yeah, so good. So good. It's such a great episode just to be thinking about if you have a makerspace in your school or your classroom or at your district, I think this is just another great resource for you. And, and hopefully maybe there's something in here that motivates you to go out and, and do something just a little bit different. Uh, try something new. Be creative in your creative space yourself. Uh, just a great episode. Before we get to Civil from UPenn, here's a word from today's show sponsors. STEM sports is a great way to engage your students in STEM through sports-related activities. You're going to hear more about STEM sports in each of these episodes, and we also will have an interview with STEM sports CEO later on in the miniseries. Mackin and Mackin Maker is our other sponsor for the miniseries. Mackin is your one-stop shop for everything you need to get your makerspace up and running or resupply a makerspace you already have. You'll be hearing more about Mackin Maker in each episode and we'll have an interview with Mac and Maker lead educator as well. Please check out both our sponsors for this mini-series on our offers page at shiftingschools.com offers. A big thank you to both STEM Sports and Mackin for making this mini-series possible. If you have used either STEM Sports or Mac and Maker in your classroom, shoot us an audio note and tell us how you use them in your classroom today. You can do that right on the front page of shiftingschools.com. All right, and with that... I'm excited to uh, talk with Trisha and Seville today. You talking about the BE Lab, the Bioengineering Labs, 
uh, Makerspace Lab at the University of Pennsylvania at UPenn through the UPenn Engineering Department. All about makerspaces, all about STEM. You're going to like this one. And with that, on with the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. I'm so excited to be here with Seville and Trisha as usual. Trisha, how are you today? I am doing well. I have really been looking forward to this episode. Listeners, in the show notes, uh, you're going to find all kinds of links so that you can learn more about the work that Seville does and the amazing lab that we're going to discuss today. I almost want to nudge listeners to pause the episode and just take a look at the website. Uh, For anybody who is passionate about maker education, about STEM, what a dream. Like I would love to see it in person one day, but uh, your website also does a phenomenal job, I think, of, of sort of telling the story and giving a little bit of a sneak, a sneak peek into uh, what, what learners are doing in that space. Thank yeah. you. So to get started, Seville, uh, can you talk to us, you know, being the director of the Stevenson Bio Makerspace, can you tell us a little bit about the lab's uh, originality and what are, what, what, what's the aim uh, of, the, of the lab at this point? So we started, uh, I mean, we're part of the bioengineering department here at Penn, Penn Engineering. Uh, And bioengineering is interdisciplinary in that it applies kind of all uh, the more traditional engineering disciplines to uh, biological systems. So we kind of started out as just your basic teaching lab, kind of your chemistry lab, biology lab, something like that, where people came in, did a little experiment and left. And um, it was, we wanted to kind of change things up a lot more, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago when we started Mm -hmm. moving to be more project oriented. Uh, We focus a lot more on for students to learn on their own. Uh, They refer to it as just in time learning. Uh, And where the instructors and staff just act as guides, pointing people to what they need and allowing for a lot more creativity. Uh, And we started more formally introducing tools and mechanical design, electronics, things like that, and buying the tools, the 3D printers, laser cutters, electronics, uh, in addition to just having a lot of chemistry and biologics, which is kind of what we do a lot of as well. Uh, so we do a little bit of everything, and it, it was just all there. And uh, as our projects kind of got bigger, students needed to work after hours, and we just decided to kind of open up the space. It's staffed by student employees, but we're open uh, for longer periods of time. We close at 9 p.m. Wow. Um, and the uh, when we opened it up, we also just open it up to all Penn students. So you don't have to be in bioengineering. You don't have to be in engineering. You don't have to be a, just anything. Um, you do have to be a Penn student just to get in the building. Uh, but it's uh, that kind of chains the dynamics of things. Um, and what's also interesting is we, because we're an open space and the nature of our classes, you'll have you know a first year freshman student working with basic electronics. Uh, on the other side, there's a fume hood with a PhD student making nanoparticles. You know, you'll have a master's student making a biomechatronic device. So um, I wish there was some way to measure uh, 
what people kind of get from these interactions, but there's definitely interactions going on and I'm sure it's doing amazing things for the students. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I just I love that idea of you don't have to have a major with an emphasis, but you can still come because, you know, as you're saying, just even the asset of being able to like eavesdrop or lurk or see what is possible in those subject areas. And, you know, when we talk about innovation, we talk about wanting it to be interdisciplinary. And I think what your lab has done is it's sort of taking some of those obstacles out of the way. So you get that cross section of interests and experience that um, I'm guessing students are, are having ideas come to fruition because of some of those interactions. So Seville, uh, you know, as the only interdisciplinary biomakerspace in the world, I'm wondering where you turn for inspiration or who have been some of the influences that, um, you know, as you think about what you want that lab to be or, uh, you know, the potential for that lab, how, how is it that you're able to sort of think about what others are doing maybe as, as inspiration when uh, your lab is the only Honestly, um, I'm, we're driven almost entirely by student requests, student mm-hmm. demands. So uh, if a student suddenly says, hey, I want to do a project with, for example, soft robotics, and they need this special plastic mold, we'll buy it, and then we'll start stocking it, and then other people want to use it. That's kind of how it's been operating. Uh, we kind of let the students drive drive things, and if we feel it's something that other people could use, we'll just start stocking it to the extent that's possible. <laughs> um, we don't have infinite space or infinite money, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the uh, we also uh, I just like to see what other groups are doing. So I'm always checking out what other labs, other makerspaces do and just try to learn from them. But it's really just kind of putting pieces together and really being driven by what students want to do. Uh, There is a bit of a kind of a chicken and egg situation because people will only use what they can see. Right. Uh, But uh, we... I don't know. Somehow we've been able to make it work. We do. We'll introduce new things. Uh, myself and my staff, we like to try out new things. Uh, just one example for a lab class that we do is uh, there's a project called the Human Cockroach Machine Interface, where we got the idea from uh, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Sorry, I really have to figure this out. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's <okay>. uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, this company gave us this design, uh, this idea. Um, and uh, it, it was an incredible idea. Gosh, I really wish I could remember the name. I apologize. Uh, in any case, they gave us an idea. We They designed these a series of labs, lab modules rather, for... Uh, high school students, and we just liked the idea, and we wanted to improve it and make it into a college level thing. So we have things mm-hmm. like uh, we obviously get cockroaches where students cut the leg of the cockroach uh, and then put electrodes in it to try and control its motion. The <laughs> uh, 
that's kind of the idea we got from the company. We kind of took it to the next level, which was you put the cockroach leg onto the motor arm. And so then you get two degrees of motion. You have to control this with the computer. And then the final stage is to put electrodes on your own body, on your own arm. And as you move your arm, the whole kind of biomechanic prosthetic will move. Oh my gosh. Um, so in that process of trying to do this and pushing students to do more, we'll buy more things and say, oh, you know what? You were able to do this last year. Let's push you a little further. Here's some more stuff you can use. Uh, that's kind of how we move. We're, we're, um, we are an educational lab first, a teaching lab. So since we have to create modules for students, we try to just push them and push them and push them. And that also kind of expands what we're, what we do. I'm guessing, um, you know, your, your social media actually uh, shared a post about that cockroach project. And I'm wondering for students who maybe have never thought about pursuing STEM, you know, don't see themselves necessarily as makers, let alone, you know, capable of doing anything with engineering, what opportunities are there for other students to come and visit and see what's happening in, in the lab? So, Oh, that's an interesting question. We, we are generally just open, uh, and I'm like, our department's very happy to invite people to come by, uh, to take a look. Uh, students are definitely welcome to come. We do have high school programs that use our space. Uh, we have lots of like just general middle school, high school programs like that. Uh, but yeah. It's, it's something we're working on. <laughs> it's not <laughs> as good as we'd like. Um, mm-hmm. I will say another thing that kind of drives our excitement with this is that a lot of times innovation can happen at those interfaces between multiple disciplines. Mm. Uh, not something is not solely mechanical or solely electrical. They can be, but some of the more interesting things can be those hybrids, hybrids between electronics and biology and so on and so forth. And uh, that's kind of what's always in the back of our minds when we try to think of what to do next. We'll get back to this great conversation in just a moment. But first, here's a word from today's show sponsors. If you're looking for a new, innovative way of engaging your students or children, look no further than STEM sports. Teachers, administrators, and coaches in every state are using STEM sports supplemental curriculum that combines the fun of sports with STEM learning to prepare them for future careers. From learning how football helmet technology can help protect players from damage to the brain to calculating basketball shooting percentages, the opportunities to learn while being physically active are endless. Sports kits come fully equipped with all of the relevant sports equipment and necessary science supplies, and no training is required for implementation. It's that easy to get your students excited about learning again while thinking about their future. Find out how you can kick off your STEM journey with your school, after-school program, or camp today by trying a free sample of your favorite sport using the link in the show notes below or visiting shiftingschools.com slash offers. That's STEM sports, engaging your students in fun, physically active STEM activities. And if you are looking for a one-stop spot for your makerspace needs, 
look no further than Mackinmaker. Mackin's Mackinmaker offers a collection of books, kits, and products to supply your maker space. Mackinmaker's engaging, high-quality products and custom curated kits are the perfect way to support your current STEM and makerspace initiatives. Whether you are adding to your existing maker education program or creating one that's new, Mac and Maker offers hundreds of top quality products. If you are just starting out and want to create a makerspace for your room or your team, check out the Mac and Maker recommendation list. Their lists include a mix of low-tech, high-tech, and no-tech options, great maker books to get you started, and excited projects to engage your students in both small and large group activities. They have curated lists for both elementary and secondary. It's the perfect resource, whether you're looking for high-tech Lego robotic kits or you're a librarian who wants to start a makerspace in your library. Not sure how to begin? The recommendation lists are a great place to start. With Mac and Maker, there is no need to try and gather resources for your makerspace from different distributors. Everything you need to get started is in one trusted spot. Mac and Maker even offers district-level service to provide an equitable makerspace program for every school in your district. Mackin and Mackin Maker are a leader in makerspace supplies for schools, and we thank them for being a sponsor of Shifting Schools and our STEM makerspace miniseries. Head to mackinmaker.com or visit the link in our show notes to start building or resupplying your makerspace today. With access to 3.5 million print and digital fiction and nonfiction titles, Mackin, a trusted source for all your classroom school and library resources. That's so cool. You know, one of the things that I think is really important, you know, our audience is K-12 educators. And one of the things I want to emphasize is something that is actually in the introductory video for your lab. Uh, In there, there's a line that says, engineering is fundamentally interdisciplinary. Can you speak more about ways students are bringing in cross sections? Like what, what does that look like? Like in your mind, this idea of interdisciplinary, uh, what are you seeing in the lab? Because it's open to every, you yeah. know, every student. Are you seeing, you know, those maybe that are more art focused coming in and, and adding an art element? Are are you seeing some of that interdisciplinary stuff? Definitely. Uh, I, one example is we had a biology student who uh, she had an idea and she uh, wanted to um, try it out, and she came to our lab used our materials and uh, she knew nothing about electronics. So she, uh, if you go to our website, which you mentioned, uh, we have tutorials on how to do so many different things. Yeah. Uh, And so she learned a lot about electronics on her own. Uh, She ended up designing something, winning some competitions. And now she's actually has a startup. Um, She's doing really (laughs) well. You can Google Strella biotechnology. Uh, wow. So that's, um, kind of a, a nice, I, I really like that story just because she was a biology major Yeah. and people often just think of those as biology versus engineering or two different things. Uh, so I really like that. I've definitely, we had a art student actually, uh, she was exploring something with, uh, trying to get cells that to create different types of smells, like (laughs) the type of smell. I don't think she got very far, but it was something she was exploring. I love that. Um, And just, uh, 
I mean, honestly, it, it can be anything. Uh, I had a student who made a jean jacket uh, just because we have a sewing machine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we bought the sewing machine, again, because of student needs for making wearables. Sure. But hey, why not make a jean jacket? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's so it's, cool. it's all over the place. And yeah, maybe she'll get the idea of sewing in electronic something into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I just love that idea. You know, a lot of times I, I love that because a lot of times when we're thinking of maker spaces and we're thinking of, you know, all the electronics and robotics and everything you can have, you also have a sewing machine, you know, yes, I mean, there's just exactly. some of these like basic tools of wearables are coming, wearables are here, but wearables are going to be coming. And so you're, you need some way to sew clothes and, and put electronics into clothes and figure out, you know, what that looks like. So that, I love that, you know. And just yeah, the idea, again, of, uh, you know, the, the space being open to all of your university students, I think, is really an impressive um, move as well. I notice on your website, you have some information around, like, just safety and what's actually there. Um, but I think for folks who have that design or that makerspace on their campus, maybe think about what are the advantages of saying mm. this is open to our entire community and not just our design students, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing you might have had some challenges with that as well. But in order, I think, for it to really be, um, you know, a space where someone who does not have experience with that to come in and to learn a little bit, you know, engineering as someone who has done nothing with engineering, you know, it's <laughs> incredibly intimidating. And even just the idea of what what is happening in that space and in what ways does it tap into other subject areas? It's just a really cool thing to think your students can see that firsthand. They can experience that. They can have conversations with students in that space too. So, uh, you know, we, we thought you'd be a perfect person to ask this question of, we know that we'll have listeners who, you know, they, they might have a maker space, even in their classroom, a small one that they are trying to get started. It doesn't have to always be, a huge official lab. What you have is is really, you know, kind of um, quite inspirational and aspirational. But for a school or for an educator who's thinking, we want to embrace maker ed. We do want to encourage students to tap into that line of, of creativity. What is one recommendation maybe that you would offer for those who are at the very beginning of that journey of trying to create a space for students? A sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, um, first off, it's actually remarkable how inexpensive a lot of this is mm-hmm. nowadays. Uh, I think you could probably set up, I think our department actually published a piece where they, I think they said it's under $1,000 you can start a major wow. space. I think the price is even less now after two, three years and have a lot of great tools. Um but I'd say, uh, I mean, the biggest thing is to allow for creativity on the part of the students. Mm. Um, I think it, it's w- very easy to just create a structured exercise that students will do and just kind of call it quits. Um, but just allowing for that creativity to push students to go further, giving them examples of where they can go and um, adding a certain amount of competition, I think, helps. Interesting. Uh, the, uh, which is what we do with our students. The, 
I think that really pushes people to try new things. Mm. And what we found, um, kind of moving a bit away from your question, is that as we push the creativity of students, students do even more amazing things. Mm -hmm. And then my administrators see that and say, oh, wow, let's encourage this. Let's do more. Yeah. Um, wow, this biology student started a company. What yeah, right. What, what can we do next? Uh, look at this amazing stuff the students did in two weeks. Uh, what more do you need, several? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think at, at the end of the day, it's just a space, but the students are the ones who will drive it, the people, the users. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this makes me think about just what you're talking about and allowing students creativity. And maybe it's my generation. I don't know if this happens anymore. I'm sure people on Twitter and and everywhere else will tell me if this is still happening in classrooms. But I was the generation that one of the things I will always remember was creating an egg drop. Did any of you have to do this where you had to create something that protected an egg and you had to stand up on a ladder and, you know, drop this contraption, right? You had to engineer some kind of way that when you dropped an egg from, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet, 15 feet, that the egg didn't crack. And I still remember the, the engineering and the creativity of every different group. Groups came at it from so many different levels because there, there were endless possibilities. The teacher wasn't saying, oh, you got to keep the egg from cracking, but you can only do it in 10 minutes or you can only use these three pieces of styrofoam, which is also kind of cool, right? Like that there are limitations to your creativity, but to be able to say like, we don't care what you use, Mm -hmm. go be creative, find out a way to not. But to me, it's like, it's that one small thing. I mean, I remember that one thing from my biology class, right? I mean, I'm just thinking that's what maker spaces allow, right? Maker spaces allow you to just be creative without the ability to just, you know, have time constraints. If it takes you three months to sew a, a jacket, it takes you three months to sew a jacket. I mean, who, you know, you're making stuff, you're, you're doing stuff and, and just being in the room. And I love that you, you say that, right. Just being in the room with other people and watching what that group is doing and seeing what this group is doing. And when it comes to engineering, I think of engineering and just the in, engineering mindset, right. That maker mindset to me today is a lot like HTML. And I've said this for a long time. You need to know this much HTML. You just need to know a little bit of HTML. And it just, your understanding of how the internet works, your understanding of web pages, you don't need to know a lot. But I feel it's the same way with with makerspaces and just the engineering mindset. You don't have to go and create big robotic arms. But you start getting into a mindset of how things are created, how things work together. And that just starts unlocking the next little piece, the next little piece, the next little piece. You know, getting kids in that maker space mode, that engineering of what is possible, I think is just so critical for kids today. Well, I think what you're saying, Jeff, is, you know, it really is about building on confidence, right? And sometimes you need just a few of those small wins to say, okay, my egg survived the egg drop. What next can I build? And, yeah. you know, even that activity, there's like low stakes competition baked right, into exactly. that. So Savile, I'm so curious actually to hear a little bit more about what you were saying with the competition element being part of what is maybe like a small part of your recipe for the labs. 
success. So, uh, you know, is it, is it the, the cockroach, cockroach races or could you, could you just uh, expand no. a little bit on that uh, so, competitive vibe? I will say with the cockroach thing, we did originally have everyone try to, it, it was kind of a race thing, but we actually moved away from that because we liked the idea of pushing creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the only specification is more or less just, you know, you have to have some human uh, physiological component and uh, have a motor and a cockroach arm and you can kind of do whatever you want. And the competition is student-based. The students just vote on each other's projects and um, whoever wins uh, gets a little bit of extra credit and it's bragging rights. Mm -hmm. And it really, it pushes the students. It's actually unbelievable. The first year we did it, we didn't even have a mechanical design component to it. Yeah. And students just started incorporating that. We never asked for it. Huh. Uh, I mean, we never even taught them how to do that at the time. They just learned it <laughs> for the purpose of doing what they wanted to do. And they do really crazy things. If you again, <laughs> go to our website, you can look at some of the videos. Um, they're hilarious. Just uh, dealing with just somehow incorporating a cockroach leg with the most random things like star wars <laughs> or minecraft or um i'm trying to think like a ice cream shop i think was something <laughs> um so that's uh yeah they just have a lot of fun with it and we really uh kind of push them to do that and then since we archive everything through videos and photos the following year sees what the previous year did <laughs> and it pushes them a little bit further. Yeah. I can do better than that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, and well, and I, I love that even about your website. And again, we'll make sure, you know, the website you've, if, for teachers who, if for no other reason to go show students what's possible because there are great videos and, and everything else on the website, it might be a place that you take kids to be like, check out what, what, check out what these, what these guys are doing. You know, this is, this is, uh, incredible stuff. And so if even for just getting kids excited about what is possible, uh, what you can do with a cockroach arm is just, you know, it, it, it's kind of fun and it kind of gets, gets the, you know, the wheels, the wheels turning. I don't and know. Yeah. I will say we have a, a bunch of tutorials on our website and I've actually had uh, K through 12 schools reach out to me ask just to say, hey, this was very helpful. Can you add this other link to it? Uh, oh, great. <laughs> so uh, it has been, it's been crowdsourced a bit. Uh, so I'd encourage people to take a look at those as well. That's Wonderful. awesome. Well, thank you so much, you know, again, for, for your time. And I know that there will be some folks who are listening who are wondering, like, how can we get our school maybe, uh, you know, to connect either with you or maybe with some of your students? I'm thinking, you know, if I'm a middle or high school science or design teacher, it might be really interesting even to have my students connect with your students and talk about, you know, what what is it like to major in that field? Or, um, you know, what, what advice would, would some of the university students have for like a current grade eight or grade nine student who's thinking, I do want to go into bioengineering. So for those who might want to, uh, to reach out and contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'd say go to our website. My contact information is there. Um, several at upenn.edu is my email address. Uh, but I'd 
encourage people to do our website. And uh, we're on all sorts of social media, even TikTok, apparently, uh, <laughs> at PenBE Labs. Uh, we, I, I, a lot of our students like to get excited by this stuff, and someone joined us up for TikTok. So. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate what you're doing with your social media. And again, it just it, that transparency of, of getting a window in is great. So listeners, we'd encourage you to look at that. Uh, for folks who want to reach out to Jeff and share their maybe next level egg drop stories with him, Jeff, how should people reach out to you to talk to you about uh, maybe their successes with the egg drop or uh, what the new 2023 version of that might be in their class? Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, you can find me everywhere on the social medias at Jayudic. Uh, I have also uh, started moving, you know, from Twitter along with everybody else over to Mastodon. So Mastodon.education, you can find me in there uh, at Jayudic as well. And of course on TikTok. And hey, I will throw it out there. If anybody needs a judge for the egg drop, please hit me up. I will zoom into your class and do be a judge or tell me your best stories or have your kids write me. Uh, it's just one of those engineering things that, it was so fun. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's some competition, it's low stakes. I mean, at the end of the day, you broke an egg and got the fried up, you know, I mean, that was, that was the thing, but there's just that, there's that, there's that moment of creativity. And I think in, in little things like that, and even in the lab, there becomes this moment of you've done all this work. Will it work? Right. And it's in that moment of, I don't know if this will work, but I'm going to give it a try that there's so much that happens to us as humans where the next level of creativity comes from. So, uh, yeah, at Jay Udick everywhere, Trisha, how about you? Where, where should people reach out to you? Uh, reach out to me. Actually, you know, we are trying to share a little bit more and more with our recently established Instagram account that's at Shifting Schools Pod. Uh, so you can also contact us there. And I also would like to hear your egg drop stories because, Jeff, you have me thinking I know of a school that uh, the update they made was, you know, the new rule was whatever you are using must be sustainable products. Okay. Uh, there you go. You can't buy anything new. We want to use or repurpose things that are already here. So um, I'd love to hear sometimes those restrictions actually Absolutely. Uh, enact creativity in a different way. So yeah, I would love yeah. to hear from folks. So again, please do check out all of the show notes to learn about the work that Seville does. And if you're looking for inspiration for your lab, it's a great website to find some inspiration for sure. Yeah. Seville, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing everything about the BE Lab. And again, we will have links to that and everything else we discussed. Uh, I just literally pulled it up on my computer and there's four videos that I want to go watch right now. So uh, I'm, I'm headed over there as soon as we hang up. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. This was great. If you liked today's episode, please let us know on Twitter at Shifting Schools or Instagram and TikTok at Shifting Schools Pod. Make sure to check out our free STEM-related guides as well by visiting free guides in the menu of shiftingschools.com. If you are looking for a speaker or workshop presenter, reach out to Trisha and I as well. We're both full-time educational consultants and love supporting schools in preparing students for their future, not our past. Until next time, we'll see you on the network.